Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With over 50 years of counseling, consulting, and advising experience, Ted Klontz has been called the father of financial therapy. His roster is chock full of famous faces and names with clients ranging from major entertainment management groups to professional athletes to rock stars to the United States Defense Department. He serves as an associate professor of practice and financial psychology at Creighton University, the founder and CEO of Klontz Consulting Group and the co-founder of the Financial Psychology Institute. There's a good chance you've heard Ted's name. He's regularly quoted in all sorts of media. Today's show, CNN, Good Morning America, The Wall Street Journal, New York Times, you name it. What you're going to hear today are some of the most popular money misconceptions and then these powerful subconscious money scripts that can hold us back and really define how we end up managing our money and then maybe how we can fix those. Ted will also talk to us about how to be happier and healthier with our money. All that on today's episode. I'm Wes Moss. The prevailing thought in America is that you'll never have enough money and it's almost impossible to retire early. Actually, I think the opposite is true. For more than 20 years, I've been researching, studying, and advising American families, including those who started late, on how to retire sooner and happier. So my mission with the Retire Sooner podcast is to help a million people retire earlier while enjoying the adventure along the way. I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's get started. Ted, Ted Klontz. Hey, Wes. Hey, man. They call you the father of financial therapy. Is there an industry yet that is purely financial therapy? Or is it, are you one of only a few out there? Or is there, are there hundreds, thousands? No, there are, uh, I would not say there are thousands. Um, back in 2008, I got a call from the Wall Street Journal um, and I'd been sort of laboring in it for about 10 years and I'd met three other people who were doing the same thing. And, uh, he goes, how many of you are there? I said, there's four that I know of, but by this afternoon, there'll be 400 and by tomorrow there'll be 4,000. Um, simply because it was sort of an awakening of there's something beyond the numbers that are happening. Yeah. And I got into it really, uh, trying to understand my own behavior. I, I couldn't. No, I, I knew what I should do. I just couldn't do it. I knew it wasn't stupid, crazy, or mentally ill. Um, or, you know, like, uh, I, and I just couldn't figure it out. And, of course, being uh, in the field of psychology, that's what we do. We try to figure things out. Like, why do people behave the way they do? So it really became, uh, started as a personal quest because um, I didn't know anybody else who was having any trouble with this. I, as It's like, are you kidding? Today, but uh, back then, everybody pretended like they didn't have an issue. Like, and and I remember sort of being the guy in the desert who'd say, "So, how do you guys feel okay about this?" And they go, "You know, like, what are you talking about? My wife kicks me under the table. You know, it's like, you're, you're like, what are you doing?" But basically, um, I knew what I wanted to do. I couldn't do it, 
Um, I knew there must be something wrong with my thinking. I didn't know what that was. And I actually thought, I wonder if we can apply some of the tools that we use to help people change other behaviors to their finances. And um, so I began doing that for myself. And it was like a magical moment. And then for some reason, other people, well, me too, me too, me too. And suddenly, you know, it's like, okay, you know, uh, it didn't start out with some kind of vision uh, about that, but it's sort of gone from there. Ted, do you remember anything in particular that you felt like you weren't doing right? Yeah. Was Was there a couple of things that were really like, I know I should be doing X, but I'm not. Yeah. Remember what those were? I remember the moment. It was Thanksgiving Day. And this guy who had really liked what we did, and he said, hey, um, I, I, I'm going to give you all the money you would need to do this thing right. Yeah. And and we resisted and resisted and resisted. And finally, after all of his advisors says, please let him do something good with his money. Right? Please, please let him help you. So we bought into it. And it's, thir- it's Thanksgiving afternoon. He calls. We were private jet to New York, signed the papers. And he called and he said, I've changed my mind. Changed his mind. He changed his mind. And and at that moment, I thought, there's really something wrong with my thinking. My thinking was, if you do well enough, good enough for the right reasons, you know, like karma, there will be this big check. This guy's going to ride in a horse and hand you a really big check, right? Mm -hmm. And this this is the third time something like that had happened. And I thought, there's something wrong with my thinking. I said to my wife, you know, I don't, there's something wrong with my thinking. And I, the only word I can use is it's poor thinking. I'm thinking like a poor person. Mm. I didn't even know what that meant, but I just knew there was something wrong. Aren't you angry? It's like, not really. It's like, this is a huge awakening, right? So this was, you were thinking somebody was about to invest big in the, your better quality of life seminars or this yeah, is this well, actually is, what he said is I'm going to give you all the money to do whatever you want. You can do anything with it. You want, hmm. you can live off of it. You can invest it whatever you want. I, I just want to make your life what you hope it's going to be in 20 years. Wow. Okay. Why, but why you, by the way, was he in one of your seminars and he loved he, it? Uh, I had helped his family, um, come from the brinks. Actually, they were in the middle of a, nuclear war with each other Mm. and we were able to pull that back together and you know sort of create what he had always wanted it was a miracle for him and his family oh okay so this was you were doing financial therapy technically did you call it that back then no we it was actually family therapy is what we were doing had nothing to do with money this is back in you know 1995 96 no one was talking about money. It's the psychological edge of money. No one. And and when I started talking about it, people who do what I do to say, oh, you've sold out the money. It's like, not. I'm just talking about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, it isn't like I've sold out to it. It was that much of a taboo. So you were counseling, like for this XYZ family, let's say, you were sitting down the two sides that really they're having issues and you you brought up the topic, like you guys are fighting over money. Let's talk that through. No, I, I didn't even bring up the money. This no. was this was about helping them find peace as human beings with each other. Money was never mentioned. That came after the offer. You know, it's like there's something wrong with me. And then the second thing you said, what else? is like I knew I should be saving for retirement, but I wouldn't do it. I even resolved, okay, so 
tell me how much money I, here's what I want to do. Mr. Planner, tell me what I have to do to make it happen. He said, send in X amount per month. And I go, okay, I'll do that. And um, I wrote the check and it's first of the month I put it on my desk. You know, it's a business and cash flow and I might need that money. (laughs) And then the next month I would send, I would write the next check. I had a stack of checks on my desk, but I wouldn't send them in. Hmm. And he called me about six months later. He said, what decade were you going to start this? Well, I got all the checks right here. He said, but that's not what I'm talking about. You need to give me the checks, right? (laughs) I, I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. So I'd send him four of them, but I'd keep two. I mean, like... Uh, it was never going to happen. Retirement was never going to happen. And uh, I, I thought, here's what I want to do, but here's what I am doing. There's got to be something there. Okay, which leads me to then, you then discovering these big psychological roadblocks. Yes. Uh, and and what are they? What is, what is the average, what do we as Americans, what do we really struggle with? We call uh, We call them money scripts. And basically, they are subconscious beliefs about money that totally control our financial behavior. And and for the most part, we are not aware of them. We are victims to them, but we're not aware of them. And they're well-formed and, for the most part, permanently formed by the age of 10. Whoa. So I guess that's just the first 10 years, I mean, the first six, you don't, or five, you don't even really know what money is. Yes, you you do. You absolutely do. You absolutely do. Tell me about that. Um, Parents say, what can I do to teach my kids the right thing about money? And I said, they're they're already learning. Whatever your relationship with money is, that is theirs. Now, it won't necessarily be copycat you, but it will be in reaction to you, right? They're learning about what money is, they're learning about how it works, they're learning about what it does, and, and they're making decisions off of it. So one of my first experiences as a little kid, I'm five years old, I'm watching my grandfather and this guy talk. They're farmers, they're kneeling down in the dirt, you know, throwing sticks and, you know, sucking on whatever. I'm this five-year-old just like, wow, you know, like this is amazing. And when the guy stood up, he looked at me, reached in his pocket and said, you've been such a good kid. And he pulls out a quarter and gives it to me. Oh, first money lesson. That's how money works. If you're a good kid, you keep your mouth shut, money will happen. So that that's the first moment of someday, somewhere, sometime, if I'm good enough, somebody's going to give me a big check. Ooh, so you're tracing back from when you were 40 or so or 50 and all the way back to being five, and you were yeah. just doing it in, in a much bigger, grander, adult way. But it was a, really the same psychological lesson. Yes. Well, and, and the even bigger lesson is someone else will determine your worth for you. Someone else, because you were handed the quarter. Right. Now, if my grandfather would have said, look, grandson, sometimes that's how money works. People notice you and they you, you've done good things for them. But here's how else it works, right? There was no corrective moment whatsoever. There was an opportunity for a corrective moment when he goes, yes, this sometimes this happens, but this is really how it happens. And this deal I was making, I was determining how much my services were worth to this guy. I mean, magical moment, totally nobody said anything because money for the most part is a taboo. Kids are watching. And if you pay attention to them, uh, that's usually when people call me is they, their kids are acting out what the kids believe. 
And it's like, I don't like, I don't, <laughs> I don't like what he's seeing. Like a, another friend, uh, three-year-old walking through the mall with his son. Uh, Daddy, I want to ride the horse. You know, those ones where you put a quarter in or whatever. Yeah. And uh, I'm sorry, son, we don't have any money. And he reaches in his father's pocket and pulls out a quarter. Ooh. Yeah. So what did he teach him? Yeah, well, uh, it, it was like, I know you have money and it's hidden in your pocket. So there's always money somewhere. And, and another friend of mine, five-year-old daughter, uh, sorry, baby, we don't have money to do that. And she said, Daddy, just go to the wall. Go to the wall. Yeah. What does he have a safe in the wall? No, it's called credit card in money comes out. Oh, just go to the wall. Go yeah. to the ATM. Just go to the ATM. Go yeah. get some. And another one, um, uh, the mother was really criticizing the son because at a party, he said he was an adopted child. Uh, he was six. And he said to everybody at the party, we're really rich. And this freaked her out, you know, sure. like, yeah. freaked her out. And I, she, she said, how do I correct him of that? I said, well, let's find out what he means first. And what he meant was uh, we have two couches. He, he came from an orphanage. Uh, you know, it's like, I mean, even when kids do speak up about money, <laughs> we slam the door pretty quickly, right? Yeah. So It's just yeah. so much about perspective. So yeah, much and, about and, you know, we are... It's impossible for us at the age of five or six or seven to shield ourselves from messages about money that aren't helpful. And advertising plays to that. I mean, the, the people who sell us things, they, they play to this six-year-old brain. And that's why they, when you go into a car dealer, they don't show you a list of cars for sale. They come, come here. We're going to set show you. Yeah. We don't put you in the passenger seat. We put you in the driver's seat, right? Uh -huh. And any six-year-old who gets to go sit in somebody's new toy, especially boys, and it's a car, like you're not getting them out of there. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it is amazing to tie those two together, but you're so right. Well, all right. So we get locked by all these subconscious subscripts or scripts. Right. What are the ones that, if you would assume that most people aren't good with money, what is the, what are some of those scripts that make us fail with money? Well, there's several beliefs. Um, money is magic. And whatever I hope to come true, money will make that come true. We call that money worshiping. That we believe money will give us what we're looking for. Now, I can say, hey, look, uh, Wes, money won't give you what you're looking for. But that's, that's an intellectual message. The subconscious message is nine times stronger than this message. This part goes, yeah, you're right. This part goes, no, he's not right. <laughs> and this part wins. So money is magic is the fund. And that's, is that probably the fundamental issue that we the, the kids learn from day one most yeah. americans um i you know that's a lesson one can take away from that the, another lesson is uh money money is evil money avoidance it's like mm -hmm. the problems that exist is because money exists and so if i don't want to feel bad i'll make sure i have no money avoidance and, Avo and, money and avoidance money worshiping and then the next major thing is I'm going to find someone to take care of me financially. I was just talking to a young woman who said that uh, when her grandfather died, <clears throat> who had supported her mother and him, 
she was a she was just entering college and she said, I gotta find a guy who's gonna take care of me. And that was that's what she majored in. To this day, that is still a very real strategy that people are totally. thinking. And and sometimes we're conscious of it, most of the time we're unconscious. We're not even like, how did I get here? You know, and it's like these thoughts, which really fits into what you're doing is how do I retire early? It's like if we can if we can build a vivid enough picture of what life is going to be like when we're not doing what we're doing now, retirement will come 10 years earlier. All right. And I do want to get to that. And I want to, but first let's maybe talk about some of the more visual, again, these are things we see as adults and probably as kids, our, our, my young kids probably know the questions I'm about to ask here. So you've got, you've got some really, let's call it famous folks that, that you've counseled and you continue to counsel for, for a long time. Performers, right? You're in Nashville as part of the year. Athletes. First of all, how did you get involved with these high profile folks? Luck. We published the book from this first study. It was reviewed in the Wall Street Journal the owner of a business in Nashville, an entertainment management group, saw this, it caught her eye, and they were working with a client who had gone from $32 million in assets to six in about 12 years. And um, this entertainer was coming in the next day for three of the six. Whoa. The entertainer just turned 40, and this woman said, I'm either going to kill myself or her. Can you help us? And I said, I don't know anything about the entertainment business. And she said, maybe that's a good thing. Yeah. So she said, everybody who cares about her in her business world is in a meeting now. Can you come? And I said, well, I'm finishing up a doctor's appointment, but yeah, I can come. And I, I essentially did my counselor thing is, so tell me, tell me what's going on. And they went around the room and said, here's my perspective of what's happening. And, uh, you know, this is not brain science, but I said, have you all told her this? And there was dead silence in the room. So the entertainer wasn't in the room, but all the people that did care about her yeah. was. And, and um, I said, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to all come back here tomorrow. I want you to tell her the story that you're telling me. I want you to go first, you go second, and you, I want you to put up on the wall what she had at $32 million and put on sheets of paper each $5 million deficit and what she got now. Because they said, will you come and meet with her and lead this meeting? It's like, no, she doesn't know me. She knows you. If it doesn't work, then there's some more stuff that I can do. But um this is what I want you to do. And, and, uh, well, will you call her at the end? No, she needs to call me. Mm -hmm. And they got halfway through the meeting. She literally said, why didn't any of you ever tell me this before? In one-on-one, -on -one, they had all told her that they were concerned and they were worried or whatever, but not everybody altogether. And, um, uh, she still has that $6 million. Right? To this day. Yeah. To this day. And that was 20, to 23 years ago. And she has a home at the time she was renting somebody's home. I mean, she, she had nothing in terms of assets. Now her assets are probably 15, $20 million worth of real estate and, and that kind of thing. 
Full disclosure, I am affiliated with Capital Investment Advisors, which is a full service and a fee-only financial planning and investment management firm in Atlanta and Denver and Tampa and Phoenix or wherever you are. And if you'd like to take your retirement planning or retire sooner journey to the next level, Capital Investment Advisors would love to help. You can find our team and schedule a time to chat right at yourwealth.com. That's Y-O-U-R wealth.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So we hear so often the rags to riches to, to rags, right? I've heard of this in a lot of different ways. It's the musicians, it's seven years, you know, it's rags, but then it's riches and then it's back to rags in seven years. Football players, it's like, you know, NFL, it's, it's two, two and a half years and the money's gone. It sounds like that is the normal trajectory. Why is that? What happens? Well, uh, number one, they get really bad help from professionals and... Uh, and number two, it is absolutely and totally predictable based on where most of them come from. Let me just elaborate and elaborate a little bit on that. Most of the people that you're talking about who go from nothing to a lot to nothing, obviously they started at nothing. Mm-hmm. There's an economy there. The way that people in that economy survive is they share. That's the expectation. Uh-huh. And if they're going to make it, they have to leave that community of people, which means mothers, fathers, aunts, uncles, cousins. They literally uh, have to uh, abandon that world. That's where I say the bad help comes in, because that's not what they have to do. But they don't, you know, the people, this is part of how I helped this group that uh, eventually called me in. And um Uh, I I, I said to them, you have to work within the culture. There is no way that, you know, the lady said, my goal for every one of my clients is to have them make 25 million and then they can live however they want to live the rest of your life. And I said, what's their goal? Mm -hmm. Well, what difference does that make? It's like, well, (laughs) you know, the problems you're telling me that you have are people who haven't bought into that. So let's find out what they have bought into. And, and, the, and the little secret is this. They can do both if the people like, you know, the professionals who are helping them can say, I know you need to take care of your family. We're going to make sure that that happens. And we need to take care of you. And this is how we're going to make that happen. And, uh, you know, like, and here's how we're going to do it. And a really quick story. This guy was overspending. His road crew was all of his cousins and uncles and aunts, and you know, and and uh, he was paying them a per diem, but he was eating really well, so he'd take them all out to dinner every night, six, eight, ten thousand dollars a night on the road. He couldn't afford to do that. Um, but in talking to him, he said, "How can I go eat at Ruth's Chris or whatever her name is?" Uh, steakhouse, <laughs> and they're eating the food that is provided by the canteen of the tour group. I, I just can't do that, right? Yeah, okay, good and, point. Uh, so uh, so what we came up with is um, he was from a very small town in the South, 
And what we came up with in this really small town, depressed area, there was a building on the town square for sale. So we turned that into his name, Community Center. And every Friday, there was either a half a cow or a pig roast. Yeah. And the food was free for everybody in the community. And everybody on his road crew's name was on there. It was not only his name, but here are the people who make this thing comfortable. It was like one quarter of what he was spending. So now he's a hero in that community, right? And they don't care where, what else he does with it because he's doing what he's supposed to do in that culture was if you have, you're supposed to take care of other people. I mean, that's just the rule. And they would not live if everybody was every person for themselves. And um, so that's, that's where um, people in the professional room have to be culturally sensitive. You know, like wh- what works? You know, it's not just the Western civilization, white man, save as much, make as much as you can. And I'm sorry, you don't have anything to eat kind of thing. Um, work it out, right? That, that's sort of the philosophy that we follow. Ted, do you think it's, it, is it even harder for athletes? What about where, where folks are getting this super quick money and then it goes away as opposed to, I'm not saying it's any easier or any harder. It's just different than musicians maybe have a longer career. Is it, what does it look like for athletes or is it, or is it really similar to that story? First of all, um, the average human brain doesn't become adult till the age of 25. And by then, athletes' careers are over. So we're looking at 18, 19, 20, 22-year-old kids. So it is really difficult, right? And each one of them expects to be a Tom Brady and play for 22, 27 years, whatever. Uh, but the, as you know, they play, for, if they're lucky, for two years. And then right. it's all gone. And, and it's like, what does a six-year-old do with a pile of candy? It's like, <laughs> I, I mean, that's the part of their brain. And then there's all this pressure. By the way, they out. eat it before their brothers get it. Yeah, right. And, and you know, if the brothers are there, it's like they, they all do it. So it's extraordinarily difficult. And one could argue that um, in, in music, um, there's a, a, a greater launch place. So, I mean, for a while, you don't have enough money to even eat, but there will come a time when you do. And then, then what do you do? Right. So it's the same issue. It, it comes later, I would say in the entertainment business. So let's talk about saving money, because again, this is a, whether it's a musician or an athlete, why isn't just telling somebody to, to save money? Why is that not a workable solution? Going back to the checks that's stacked up on, on your yeah. desk. Yeah. The, well, the, the, Short answer is our brains are not wired to save. Mm. 83% of us, our, our, our brains are to let it go through us. And, and it's a whole sharing thing, right? It, the people who saved 100,000 years ago uh, were sanctioned to the point of death for hoarding. That's what it was called then. Now, because we really push the savings thing, we don't call it hoarding, but that's exactly what it is. And uh, so most of what, the people, by the way, so that's 83%. Is there another group for the other 17 yeah, or 17% that, is they're the hoarders. Oh, seven, 83% are shares, 17% hoarders. Right. And okay. on a scale, right. I yeah, mean, yeah. one to 10 and the whole thing. So number one, we're not wired to save uh, at all. And um, the people who want us to spend our money know that. And, and they, 
I when uh, I teach college classes, and one of the research papers was, um, I want to hear, I want you to watch 50 hours of TV, and uh, how many minutes of pure save messages ever appear on the advertisements? Zero. Zero. Yeah, right. zero. It's it, so true. It, it's you get to save half of what you weren't going to spend on the. You know, that's how our brains are work too. We were always looking for a bargain and, and they play to that. So we have to do something different with this wiring. We're not going to change the wiring of the 83% of us that are not inclined to save. And it's, it's really easy. It's what the federal government's been doing, what, since the 1930s? They take the money out first so we don't even see it. So that is, so for you, and again, this is how we now take this into practicality. What, regardless if it's a, a rock star or an athlete, this goes back to the everyday American. And the reality is what you're saying. There is no way just to change the pain of saving. So you have to trick yourself almost logistically and just set it up so that you're not seeing it to some extent. Are you trying to? Yeah, that's part of it. Okay. The other part, um, and again, we're talking about the dominant part of the brain. It, it, it really goes for vision. So if the more a person can envision why they're saving, the more their savings going to do. We actually did a research study, uh, Mutual Omaha, and um, in 60 minutes, we increased the savings rate of a group of people uh, by 76%. All right, tell me that experiment. G give yeah. me the gist of that. I love yeah. this. One is you get a lecture, you should save, you should save it, you know, you know like the, the normal pitch. And the second group, uh, actually, they were the third group. The first group did nothing, right? And um, the second group, uh, we had, we said, when you come, we want you to bring something that's really important to you. Bring something that you can carry, bring with you that represents something really important to you. And and now we're talking about family or family heritage or, you know, it's like clannish stuff. And then we literally... Um, I, we're talking about semi-truck drivers and dump truck drivers and professors and, you know, it's a mixed group. We said, we want you to build a vision board. Like when, when you can do anything you want, whenever you want, with whoever you want, and you don't have to do anything else, what would your life look like? Literally. And in 60 minutes, we increased the savings rate from 30% from the lecture to 76% for the people who did the vision boards. And then we gave them little stuffed animals to represent this dream. And um, one of the stories is uh, there was a, one of the guys in, involved in the project, um, a dump truck pulls up behind him and blows its horn at a stoplight. And he looks up and the driver's pointing to the little bear hanging from his, from his mirror. So uh, this part of the brain really responds to visioning. And um, in, in whatever field, especially what you're talking about retirement, uh, what we've learned is the clearer the image, the more likely they are to act. So why am I saving? Um, and what I say to people is there's one point in time, and at least once, when every one of us has said, we've seen something, says, I want to do that. That's what I want to do. And nothing would stop us. I mean, like, Wes, are you kidding me? Like, who do you think you are? It's like, you can't do that. It's like, you know, it, nothing stops you. And if it comes from the outside, anything will stop you if the idea comes from the outside. So 
and especially working, I, I do a lot of work with people in life transitions. And it's like, until you can envision a life better than what you have now, you're not going to do anything. So, like, why would you move towards something that's not as good as what you have now? Uh, you know, it's like, why would you do that? Is the financial community, is it, the financial community doesn't really do this. Now we, financial community probably is pretty good about setting goals. And I think that I've seen more and more commercials lately around companies, let's say annuity companies or, or investment firms. They're trying, they're, they are giving you some, yep. they're making it, you know, they're showing weddings and they're showing graduations and they are showing the important things. Correct. But by and large, it is an interesting exercise that's probably not done, right? This whole thought around revisioneering really what, what the, the clear image of why we're saving, it, that just is not really done all that often. Well, it's, it's hard for me to know um, uh, because the pool that I play in, everybody's doing it, right? But it's a relatively small swimming pool. Um, so the people I hang out with, all of them are doing it right? yeah. in, in some form. We all need to be doing this more. I'm going to start doing this more. Yeah, we need to all be doing this more, even more than we're already doing. Yeah. Absolutely. And and the others are now talking about it because it's like, oh, yes, we do that too. Mm, but they don't really do it. You know, I, I have stories of like million-dollar programs to find out what people's goals are. And, and I said, basically, you'll never get what you're looking for. You know, they didn't like that answer. You, you, you don't get it. You know, goals don't come from, uh, you know. Your brain. Uh, what, what, like, I, yeah, what I say is if people are not following through, it's not their goal. Even if they told you that it's their goal. So you're saying goals come from the brain. They don't come they, from the yeah, heart. They, they come from the inside, inside yeah. out. And so, what do you call it? The subconscious or the heart or whatever it is. But it's how do how do you teach people to listen to their heart? So let's talk about some of the, the money disorders or these money issues for let's say for retirees and and potential future the retire sooner crowd listening, our our audience, um, things like money avoidance, shopping, compulsive shopping, money infidelity. Um, financial enabling. Can we talk about those kind of money disorders? Yeah, well, those are just the symptoms uh, represented of the thinking that drives the behaviors. All financial behaviors make sense if you understand the thinking that drives them, the subconscious thinking. And um, I mean, as many different people as there are, there are different thought patterns. They may have many of the same um, overt behaviors like money enabling it may have a lot of different reasons. Uh, one is, um, I, I know I was a pretty terrible father, um, but now, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, so I'm trying to buy penance, right? And um, and do things for my grandchildren and, you know, that like buy love, right? To buy love and acceptance and so on. Um, and and uh, how, how can I, if my son is about to go uh, bankrupt, and I've got $3 million in the bank. How do I let them do that, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. how, do I, how do I let them learn that lesson? And uh, like most people can't do it. And, and again, that's a, that's a lot of our um, subconscious. The, the part of our brain that controls the money behavior is 100,000 years old in terms of programming. 
And um, that we, you just didn't do that 100,000 years ago. It's like if your children were suffering, you helped them. How about avoidance as an example? Money avoidance. Is there yeah. a cure? How do you cure that? <laughs> well, you, um, how do you cure them? Well, the money avoidance is based on thinking, right? So we have technique and tools that we use to help people discover their thinking. It's like uh, if I said to you, tell me first answer, as you leave the room that you're in, on your left is all the money that you and your family for the next 10 generations will ever need. And on the right is all the love that you and your family for the next 10 generations. Tell me what you would choose. And I would say most everybody would choose the right. Yeah. And right. so that's a money script because I didn't say you couldn't have both. You decided you couldn't have both. That's a money avoidant thought. Ah, interesting. Yeah. yeah. And the cool part is, is when we shine light on that thinking, we go, that's sort of stupid. <laughs> we, we don't even know that it's operating. It's like we shine the light on it going, wow. And then sometimes just awareness of the money belief changes. You know, um, a friend of mine uh, with this retirement thing, I said, I'm really struggling. He goes, so when you retired, what would you do? And I immediately, I pictured myself on a beach on Kauai, uh, sitting in one of those chairs with the waves sort of lapping up and over my feet and back. And I, that was the most disgusting picture. I, I was like, I would hate that. Right? <laughs> and I, th then I said to myself, no wonder I'm not sending the money in. Why? <laughs> and and um, then I said, this all happened about 40 seconds. What if retirement meant I could do what I want, when I want, with who I want, where I want, I don't have to do the other stuff? It's like, all right, that sounds good. And then I said to myself, I own my business. Why am I not living that way now? It changed my life. Like 45 seconds changed my life. Say that one more time. Let me understand that. Because you, and, and you own your own business at the time. Why are you not doing that now? Why, why are you not? Why am I... Why am I not doing what I want, when I want, where I want, with who I want, and not doing the stuff I don't like? Like, like what? Well, I don't have to wait to retire to do that, right? I mean, I'd never just never had that thought. But that's what uncovering one money script. And when my, uh, if you look it up, we've done some work with this. If you look up retirement, uh, quit. You'll find in the first five words, quit. And what if you love what you do? It's like, like I don't want to quit, right? So we set, if we don't know that, we set ourselves up to never be able to quit. And, and I would have been a 60-year-old complaining and moaning and groaning about, I got to work the rest of my life blah, 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 without knowing that I, I'm making myself happy by doing that because I would be miserable. If I, I, would, I mean, it's just, it's crazy, right? I mean, we go like, that's nuts. So again, that's another script. That's one Absolutely. of those, ah, I know I'm going to be miserable if I stop. So I'm just going to put myself in a position to have to keep working forever. Absolutely. It's so, yeah, it is so, you trace it back so far. Well, and then it's also what we watch. Uh, my father retired. What happened for him? Yeah. My grandfather retired and he died. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> there's no life. Uh, and, and. Even people who retire, like, I, you know, I have a lot of people I know um, in, in that realm. Uh, it's like, so they're talking about pickleball and they're, <laughs> you know, it's like, 
and I have a neighbor who plays uh, about four hours of uh, tennis, but remotely, like with people in Australia. But he's playing on his he's playing tennis down in his basement. It's like, hmm. well, okay, you know. But is that is that what you know? It's like help me understand what retirement is. And um, people would say to me, "You'll never retire." It's like, well, I have three times. I've changed what I'm doing to something I would prefer doing. Like retirement means shifting from towards what I love to do the most. And when I work with people, I say, it's a very simple process. So if for the next, as much as you can, for the next three months, every time during the day, when you go, wow, that's cool. Or if I ask you at the end of the day, what a delight was, your subconscious will move you towards more and more of those things. And also pay attention to go, this sucks. <laughs> and just spend a moment with that, this, and this subconscious brain will move you towards what your next thing is. What lights you up when you think about it. What lights you up when you hear people talking about it. Pay attention to that. Don't do anything about it. Like Don't act prematurely. You're just gathering information. And that's sort of how we made our decisions as a young kid. We watch people going, oh, that, that looks cool. Oh, I'd never want to do that. You know, and, I mean, and so we end right. up. Oh, I don't want to do that job. Yeah. yeah. I, remember th- yeah. Yeah, I remember that moment. My dad is a veterinarian thinking, uh, wow, I don't know if I want to do that. 5 a.m. in a barn yeah. uh, with a cow that has milk fever. Ooh, that is yeah. not what I'm doing when I grow up. Yeah. <laughs> now, other people, other people would go, that's exactly what I want to do. Yeah, sure. sure. And, and so what you did is you, as that little kid, you listened to yourself going, no, that's not, I don't know what it is, but that's not it. There's certainly nothing magical here that we can do, but if you were to pick one thing to work on psychologically, would it be something more practical? Like let's say first, or just do something systematic, automatic millionaire style, or is it something else that's more of a psychological trick that might start to help? Yeah, the, those brain hacks are really good. We don't have to do anything. <laughs> we don't have to change anything we're doing, right? So it, it's sort of like the, the hacking thing helps us. If we want to help ourselves, I'd say to everybody, like, what's the thing that bugs you the most that you do financially that makes no sense? You, you just don't like it. Okay. And then dig down and say, what belief would make this make sense that I'm doing this? Like there, there is a belief that I'm carrying that makes this behavior make perfect sense and predictable. Mm-hmm. What is that? That would be the one thing. And then, you know, having conversations with, you know, like, we have a little tool that we ask people to go back and, you know, what was your first money experience? And then your second one and third one and fourth one and, and have them begin looking at that. And quite often people go, wow, no wonder, right? No wonder this, no wonder that. The, the one thing that uh, really inhibits people from getting better on this is the shame that they feel uh, and, and even thinking about it. And as you mentioned, infidelity, uh, you know, there, there isn't one of us who doesn't keep a secret about money. And, uh, you know, and, and we're all weird around it. Like if you and I were in an audience and I, I carry a certain amount of money, more than that, I feel uncomfortable. Less than that, I feel vulnerable. Yeah. For you, it might be a dime. For me, it's yeah. got to be about $3,000. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> at any given time on your person. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to have access to about three thousand dollars. Yeah, access quickly. Yeah, the, like, um, like it's in my backpack or my yeah. You know, and I'm not talking yeah. credit card because you know you like the banks, right? Like yeah. you put it in there yeah, and it right goes, at the bank. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you, you figure out what the belief is, yeah. you understand why you got there as an example, let's say with shopping, I, as a compulsive is, I, I suspect uh, clearly that's still an issue. I don't know if I see compulsive shopping, but I, I mean, obviously we see overspending and people are, are buying, sure. uh, the, the things they can't afford. Uh, as an example though, somebody who's a, a compulsive shopper, why are they doing that? What's a, what's a, yeah, what's a it, script? First of all, it has nothing to do with money. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's sort of like, uh, if I'm overeating, it's not about the food, whatever's going on. Food is the answer, right? Whatever's going on, going shopping is the answer. And what we ask people to do is start paying attention to what's going on. And um, predictably, for a shopper or an overeater or a sex addict or an alcoholic or whatever it is, something has happened within the last 24 to 48 hours that's hurt them, scared them, feel some pain. And what we ask them to do is pay attention to those messengers when they show up, right? Not as they're expressing themselves. So um, it, it's sort of going backwards to the mechanism to resolve pain and the pain can come from feeling hopeless, helpless, powerless, isolated. Uh, that that's the pain. Right. And it's like, what, what can we do instead of that instead of going shopping or whatever, but don't kick yourself forever because you're an over shopper or overeater or you drink too much. You know, it's like, let's, let's find out what wounds you're trying to heal by doing that. How about this? And let's look at this in a slightly different way. I've, I've get, um, it, it's not, it's not uncommon to have a saver, a prodigious saver investor. Uh, let's say that I'm helping with planning and investing th that has a real tough time spending the money. So they were pretty darn good at saving. They're kind of the inverse. Maybe they're the evolutionarily the hoarder, right? Uh, the 13% that you talk or 17% that, that has that in their DNA. And they're just really, it makes them really uncomfortable to spend. Not, of course they have to, to continue to live, but they really have some real issues with that. Is there, what would you say? Is there a way to deal with that anxiety of pulling money out? Yeah. Well, first of all, lecturing them um, is very inefficient, right? And showing them pictures of how they'll be okay. All the logic stuff it, it, it's going to be like water off a duck's back. Right? Um, by the way, I am one of those. Mm. I, I am one of those. Okay. Very difficult it. to spend money, especially on myself. Um, it, it's allowing uh, a conversation to occur about what that's all about. And the, the more I understand what that's all about, and I hear myself say things that are sort of ridiculous, you know, when I hear it myself. But it's really having a listener who will listen to me beyond the uh, you should, you know, and here are the numbers and all that kind of stuff. But it's like, you know, like, tell me, tell me more about that, you know. And it's really having somebody to listen to you, help you uncover all of that. And that person would have to have some skills in terms of doing that. Do you need a psychology degree to be, dig into that? No, you need a good listener. Is that go back to exquisite listening? Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. 
so tell me just a little bit as we wrap here today, tell me just a little bit more about that the exquisite listening and you do, uh, um, your workshops are this, right. correct? Right. And that, the reason I'm doing the workshop is because it, it was such like, wow, there's nobody listening to each other here. Right. And it's like, how can, how can we teach them how to do that? But there are a couple rules. One is, uh, never ask a question, never ask for information in a question form. Wait, hold on. Never <laughs> ask. Wait, what? Yeah. Right. Never ask a question in a question form. Correct. Right, give me an example of that. Okay. Let's take what you just said. Give me an example of that. It was not a question. Right. right. That was a statement. By the way, I knew I was doing that. And actually, <laughs> or, or, wow, that's interesting. I'd like to know more about that. Right. Now, the key word is I. And if you say, please tell me more, which is me, or I'd like to know more about that, to the subconscious, you are like a dog turning on its back and offering its belly. You're the one who's vulnerable. When you ask me a question, I'm on the spot. Like, what do you mean? What do you mean by that? It's like, subconsciously, I tighten up. I have an anxiety response, right? So, um, Ted, you don't spend any money yourself. What, what, what the heck is that all about? It's like, I am less likely to know. Uh, now I'm in protection mode. If you said, um, give me some examples. It's like, well, you know, I bought some clothes and somebody else was paying for it. I couldn't even get out of the car to go pick them up. And now you've got me talking. Well, that must be interesting. Um, so that's one thing that's the most controversial thing. The other thing is to understand that whatever a person is asking for advice, basically 80% of the time, they're not really looking for advice. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. Tell me more about that. <laughs> there you go. This is perfect. You've, you're a quick learner. I'd love to know what you mean by that. Yeah. And see, what you just did is like, <gasps> I, I, when we do the exercises, you actually see people moving towards the person who wants to know information. Like You get it, bigger on the screen. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> but I really uh, do want to know this one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the, the whole idea behind the, it's, it's listening. And um, what I say to people is, uh, if you say to me, Hey, you know, um, I, I drink too much. What do you think would help? I will go to AA. And if you go, great idea. Thank you. Tell me what uh, I'm, I'm, you know, it's like you really wanted my advice. If you go, well, that's my sign. You are not looking for advice. You're looking for clarity. Right? So I, I've developed a method where instead of you saying, going off with the nut, well, you won't do that. How about treatment? How that is that? And every time I say something, you say no, right? That, that's not something wrong with you. It's, it's really, I'm, I'm not with you. You're not really looking for advice, even if you said, I'd like some advice. Right? If it comes right back at you right away, they're not looking for advice. So there's a several-step method for listening to them. Basically, they need to be listened to. They need to hear this thing come out of them. So it's really about letting them, and, and research-wise, uh, it's like 87% of the time, by simply listening to you when you are asking me for advice, you'll come up with your own answer. And it's your answer, and that comes from the inside, not advice from the outside. Ultimately, they have the answer. They want to talk it out. They don't, they know, they don't know they have the answer. Actually, they don't necessarily know. Oh, they don't yeah, know. That's no, right. and I've actually worked with people and groups of people where at the end, the person goes, thank you for the advice. And we, we all sit there and look like, 
he he just gave himself the advice he didn't even realize, <laughs> you know, and, and that's what skillful listening does. It empowers you to tap into your wisdom and, you know, what, what works for you. Maybe I, just last question. What would you maybe leave our audience with to have a healthier relationship with their money or an activity to, to be able to get a healthier relationship? You know, the one word that I would use is be curious, uh, not judgmental. Wow, that's interesting. <laughs> like, where is that coming from? And to, to understand that whatever your urge to do something or whatever you do something, it's coming from a belief system. And if you spend a little bit of time, that belief system will begin to uh, expose itself. And, and also understand uh, the best way to learn is to go somewhere where you literally uh, can feel yourself ready to do something you don't want to do. Like, well, let's just go in and look at the ice cream flavors. And that entire environment is set up that you're going to walk out of there with ice cream or, or a car or whatever yeah, or it is. Car. And, and, and it's okay to sit there as you're eating your ice cream cone going, wow, what was that about? <laughs> no, like, how did that happen? We were just going to look and how did it move from looking to, to doing it? And the question, the answer is because we respond to sensory. The, the, the controlling part of the brain is a sensory thing. So that's why the visioning of the future the smell of the new car, you know, the, oh, you want to sample, you know, the sales of whatever they're sampling go up by 3,000% of whatever. I'll take one of those. <laughs> and well, actually, at Costco, I'll, I'll take thing. a box of those at yeah. Costco, right? So this is awesome, uh, Ted. That would tell me, though, of all your books, The Psychology of Financial Planning and Wired for Wealth, which, what's your favorite I know that you should, people should go out and buy all of them, but what's your favorite book? <laughs> my, my favorite is the Scrooge book. You know, the very first one, The Financial Wisdom. Financial Wisdom. Ever Needs for Scrooge. It, it sort of tells the whole story. And, and everything else is uh, expounding on one or other part of that. And, you know. We'll still, hopefully you'll see sales of the Financial <laughs> Wisdom and Ebenezer Scrooge go up here. But I think you're just, you're having fun. Uh, at this point in your career. And I think you continue, yeah. you really are a pioneer and there's still not a ton of financial therapists out there. And the, the, the secret in all that is they have to do their own work. Therapists are the worst behavioral finance people in the world by practice, right? They're just awful. <laughs> They're just awful. Not because the, it's just because you're drawn to that field because you want to do good and it's really hard to charge people for, you know, all that kind of stuff. I mean, but we're a basket case ourselves. So a lot of, in a lot of our training, actually in all the training we do at Creighton is you have to look in before you can offer something out. So you have to understand yourself so you can understand them. Ted, thank you so much for being here today. Your perspective is so unique and it is, it's very helpful too. So I really, I loved having you here on the show. So the Retire Sooner audience, I'm sure will too. Thank you, Wes. I appreciate your offer to be here. Hey, y'all, this is Mallory with the Retire Sooner team. Please be sure to rate and subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend. If you have any questions, you can find us at westmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and YouTube. You'll find us under the handle Retire Sooner Podcast. And now for our show's disclosure.
This podcast is provided to you as a resource for informational purposes only and is not to be viewed as investment advice or recommendations. This information is being presented without consideration of the investment objectives, risk tolerance, or financial circumstances of any specific investor and might not be suitable for all investors. It is not intended to and should not form a primary basis for any investment decision that you may make. Always consult your own legal, tax, or investment advisor before making any investment or financial planning considerations. Please refer to the full disclosure in the podcast description for any additional information.